pray with me father god thank you for that uh, chance to just reflect and listen and sing to you thank you that you are a god who reigns you are a god who is faithful you're a god who loves us uh, we've expressed father that you are not just a father you are a good father you are a good good father so as we open your word now and study the life of Joseph, would you teach us about your fatherhood? Would you teach us about the kind of dad that you really are? We ask you to teach us uh, that we might learn, Father, as we like to say, what it means to discover life in Christ and learn to, to follow him. Follow him in his strength, not ours, uh, but to be faithful followers uh, who walk with you. So we love you. We ask you to teach us from your word. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Good morning. Open your Bibles. Let's go to Genesis chapter 40 today. Genesis chapter 40. We're in a series that we're about ready to wrap up. We've got a little more left to go. It's been a fun series of the God of our fathers, a study of the very nature of God and uh, this God that we call Father, and the one that indeed was the God of the fathers of our faith. We walked through the journeys with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and last week Ryan introduced us to Joseph, and we, we saw Joseph's story. Remember the backdrop of Joseph's story? Joseph was the 11th son born to Jacob. He was very special because he was the first son born to his beloved Rachel. He was a very special child. He was loved by his mom and his dad, maybe a little too much in some ways, okay? And the idea, he really was the favored son, and and, but, but there was jealousy with his brothers. So, you know, last week Ryan left us, and I love the title of the sermon. It was Pits and Prisons. How do you walk with God in pits and prisons? Because remember what happened to Joseph? His brothers came up with a scheme to get rid of him. And they, and they threw him into a pit. They decided maybe, oh, man, let's not kill him. Let's sell him. It'd be a little nicer thing to do. He'll appreciate that, right? And we'll get some money on the side. So they sell him into slavery uh, on a caravan that's passing through their, their land of Canaan. They take him down to Egypt, and they sell him. And, and next thing you know, he's, he's serving in the, in the house of, uh, of a guy named Potiphar, a very powerful person. Because Joseph is a faithful, gifted, wise, uh, multi-talented man. Next thing you know, he refuses to do what? He refuses, when he's being seduced by Potiphar's wife, he refuses for the sake of his character and the sake of his God not to uh, give in to her seductions and, and go to bed with, with his boss's wife. That's, not, that's a pretty wise thing to do. Can you write that down? Don't sleep with your boss's wife. Okay, obviously. But he wouldn't do that. So for really doing nothing wrong except having integrity, he gets, he gets uh, accused of trying to, uh, trying to rape her, and, and obviously he didn't do that. So now he finds himself in prison. So he goes from following God faithfully, being thrown in a pit, being sold into slavery, being shipped out down to Egypt, and he's wondering, God, why is all this happening to me? I've done nothing wrong that you can identify in the story to deserve any of this, and now I'm in prison. But we're going to pick up the story today because here's the big idea that we're really going to explore. Let me tell you the theme of the morning. You know, I love to talk about the blessings of knowing God and walking with Jesus Christ. Some of my favorite verses, for example, are John 10, 10. I came that they might have life. If you know the end of it, complete it for me. That you, that I came that you might have life and that you might have it 
abundantly, that it may be full and meaningful and have joy. I like John 10.10, great promise of God. I like Philippians 4.19. You probably know this one. It says that my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. I love Philippians 4.19. I love Revelation 21.4 in the final section of the Bible talking about our future when it says that he will wipe away every tear. There'll be no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. Because God will be our God and he'll be among us. He says, behold, I am going to make all things new for eternity. I love that. Those are easy sermons to give. Until you remember that John 10.10 was spoken by Jesus, but Jesus also knew that this abundant life for him would involve a cross. Until I remember that Philippians 4.19, my God will supply all your needs, was written by a guy who had been thrown in jail for doing nothing wrong. And I know that Revelation 21 is preceded by pain, mourning, suffering that will someday be eliminated, but that's then, in eternity, not now. See, what we're talking about as we study the life of Joseph is here's a man who, as far as we can tell, our teaching team was looking at Joseph's life, and as we discussed it, we realized, you know, Abraham, you know, a lot of the trouble Abraham got into was somewhat self-caused by his own sins and his own problems, and same with Isaac and same with Jacob the deceiver. And you come to Joseph, though, you're hard-pressed to find anything that he really did wrong. He wasn't a perfect guy, but he didn't really have those character flaws. In fact, quite the opposite. So here's a guy that's doing everything right, and he's finding himself in pits and prisons. But yet, because he's walking with God faithfully, we read this. And this was where we left off, and I want to launch into today. It was this passage I'll put on the screen. Genesis 39, 23 said, And the chief jailer put Joseph in charge because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made him to prosper. So here he is, he's in prison, but yet the jailer begins to recognize, wow, this guy's here for no good reason. He's a faithful man. He's an honest man. He has integrity. I can trust him. I can use a little free labor. So he really begins to work for the jailer, helping run the jail. So now he's in jail, but yet working for the jailer, running the jail. He's kind of the number two guy there. So, you know, but yet, and the, the fact of the matter is, he's still in jail for no good reason. Now we pick up the rest of his story. Now what we're going to do is we're going to cover chapters 40 to 50. We're going to cover 11 chapters of Scripture. Are you ready? Ryan has already approved the pizza. It's being delivered at about 2 p.m. So, and we'll finish up by about 5. So if you have plans this afternoon, just, I just wanted to give you a heads up. All right, here we go. No, we're not going to do that to you. But it begins, then it came about in chapter 40, after these things, here he is in prison, that the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was furious with these two officials, and the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. So he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard in the jail, in the same place where Joseph was imprisoned. And the captain of the bodyguard put Joseph in charge of them. And he took care of them. 
and they were in confinement for some time. And then the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt, who were confined in the jail, both had a dream on the same night. And each man with his dream, and each man with his own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning and observed them, he noticed they were dejected. They were downtrodden. They were, they were, they were confused and troubled. And he asked the, the officials uh, who were in confinement, why are your faces so sad today? And they said to him, verse 8, well, we both had a dream and there is no one to interpret it. They sensed that there was some message in the dream and no one could tell them what it was. Then Joseph said to them, well, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell it to me, please. In other words, Joseph knew that in his life he had had several dreams. He knew that he had been given by God a special capacity to interpret these dreams and understand what they meant. And, and he knew that it's not because he's smart, it's because God is smart. So he says, look, God's the only one that can really interpret your dreams, but I know God. I know the true God. So if you want to, tell me your dreams. Now I'm going to have to kind of speed it up now and just kind of summarize some of this, but it's pretty cool. The, you know, the cupbearer's dream was that three branches came up with a lot of grapes, and in the dream he squeezes the grapes and squeezes the juice into the, the cup that Pharaoh uses to drink from, and he's serving it to Pharaoh. And, you know, and, and Joseph tells him and says, well, I got good news for you, man. What this means is in three days, uh, you're going to be released from jail. You're going to actually go back to serving Pharaoh. He's going to be pleased with you, and you got your old job back. Guy says, wow, what a, what a, I like that. And the baker says, what about mine? The baker says, what was your dream? He says, well, I had three also. I had three baskets on my head full of baked goods for Pharaoh, delicious bakery goods, and, uh, uh, and the birds were, were, were eating them. Uh, what's that mean? And he says, well, I, got, I can tell you what it means. It means simply that in three days you're going to be let out of jail too, but Pharaoh is going to hang you, and then the birds are going to come eat your flesh. Uh, next question? <laughs> you know, so obviously Joseph interprets both dreams, and guess what? Boom, three days later, both guys have it exactly that way go down. In other words, they're both released, uh, the one gets his job back, the other one gets hung, hung, and the birds hang and eat his flesh. And the cupbearer says, wow. Now the only thing Joseph did, though, was he said to these guys, he said this, hey, whenever I come before Pharaoh, he says, please remember me. You've got to remember, Joseph, you know, told the guys, he said, look, he said to them, if, if, you know, I want to do this for you, but when you're back in the presence of Pharaoh, Mr. Cupbearer, uh, speak well of me because I'm stuck in jail. I didn't do anything. I'd really like to, to, to get out. Uh, and, and sure enough, the cupbearer, guess what? Here's, here's the statement in Scripture. I mean, in Scripture, it says in chapter 40, verse 23, it says this. Uh, Joseph had interpreted their dreams, yet the cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. So Joseph is waiting and waiting and waiting, and he's done what God gave him the ability to interpret these dreams, and then, and, and, but the guy, the guy wimps out on him. The guy betrays him. He doesn't tell Pharaoh. By the way, the reason I knew what was going to happen was there's this incredible man named Joseph, and he's in your jail, but he's really innocent, and give him the guy a break, please. But he doesn't do that. He's just glad to get his job back. 
The scriptures go on to say that for two more years, Joseph sits in that jail for two more years. And then finally, we fast forward two years, and Pharaoh has two dreams. And Pharaoh's dreams uh, are kind of interesting. Here's the summary of them. They're given to you. I've given you in, in your outline. It's in chapter uh, 41. But Pharaoh has two dreams. And, you know, the first is, he says, you know, I saw seven fat Juicy cows. I mean, seven fat cows. And these seven fat cows uh, came up in the dream. And then, and then there were seven skinny, um, starving cows came in the dream. And the seven starving cows ate the seven fat cows. These are cool dreams, by the way. If you never had one of these, you, know, you may have it tonight after hearing this sermon, okay? So they eat the fat cows, but yet even though they eat the fat cows, they're still skinny and, and unhealthy. He says, and then Pharaoh says, and I had a second dream. Uh, I saw seven big, ripe, juicy ears of corn, grain. Picture ears of corn. And, and, and then there were seven diseased, uh, scrawny, dried up ears of corn came up also. And the seven scrawny ears of corn ate the fat ears of corn, but they were still scrawny. And Pharaoh asked all of his interpreters of dreams, they call them magicians, and his wise men, he gathered them, and none of them could interpret. None of them had a clue what these dreams meant. And all of a sudden, the cupbearer remembered, hey, guess what? I re there is a guy that's pretty good at this. There's a dream interpreter guy. He's a, he's a Hebrew. He's a follower of the God, uh, you know, of his God, but he's in the jail. Do you want me to get him? Oh, good idea after two years, right? He remembers him. So he sends for Joseph. Pharaoh brings Joseph in, and Joseph interprets the dreams for Pharaoh. And he says this to him. Here's what they both mean. They both mean the same thing. They both mean the same thing. That Egypt and this whole region of the world is about to enter seven years of incredible crops. You're going to have rich harvest, abundant harvest for seven years. And then after that, you're going to have a seven-year drought that is going to be horrendous where they can't even plant seeds and grow food, and it's going to be the worst drought in history, and it's going to come seven years later. And therefore, what God wants you to know is here's the plan, and he gives them God's plan. For the first seven years, you need to charge everybody a 20% tax on everything they harvest, and we're going to build huge storehouses and store it up. And then when the next seven years of drought come, Egypt will have the food that it needs to feed its people. And in fact, you'll be able to sell surplus food to the region, and you're going to make a lot of money, and this is going to be a good deal for you. But you better find somebody who's smart enough to manage this program. That's the interpretation. So guess what? If you just heard that from a guy that seems to have the ability to, to listen to God, what would you do? You hire him, yeah. You're a pretty smart employer. Who was that? Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you hire the guy. And of course, Joseph tells Pharaoh, I love this, verse 40, chapter 41, verse 16. He says to Pharaoh, hey, it's not me, but it's God who has the answers you need. So I love the fact that Joseph, even when he's doing what God enabled him to do, he's always given God the glory. He's always pointing uh, Pharaoh back to the fact that it's really God that does this. And so he gives this interpretation, seven years of plenty, seven years of famine, so prepare now. And, and, and Joseph gets the job. Look at chapter 41, 
Pick it up with me, chapter 41, verse 38. Ready? Look at it in your Bibles. 41, 38. Then Pharaoh said to his servants, Can I find a man like this, in whom there is a divine spirit? Answer, of course not. This is the only guy I've met that can do this. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has informed you of all of this, there is no one so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house. According to your command, all my people shall do homage. Only in the throne will I be greater than you. In other words, it's only when I'm sitting on my throne that I'm still in charge. You better remember that, okay? I'm still Pharaoh, but you are going to be the number two most powerful man in all of Egypt. And he gives him the job. And Pharaoh says to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. So Pharaoh empowers Joseph. He makes him his number two guy. Now, as a result of this, we begin to see what God's up to. Chapters 42 to 49, I'm going to summarize in about two minutes. Here they are. What happens is Joseph rescues his family. That God's purpose for doing this is all of a sudden now the drought doesn't just hit Egypt. It hits the whole land north of Egypt, the land of Canaan, the land of the promised land of the, of the, of the, of the Israelites as, as they will someday, that will become their promised land. And, and sure enough, Jacob sends 10 of his sons to get food. Because the word's out. They got food in Egypt. Go down there, take our money, buy us some food. So they take their money, they, he sends 10 of his sons. Now he keeps his favorite son behind because well jacob's good at this (laughs) you know because after joseph was son number 11 he had one more son born benjamin son number 12 also to rachel his beloved bride and to make it even more heartbreaking rachel dies giving birth to benjamin so benjamin is his 12th son final son from rachel in that rachel has died giving birth to him wow so he says you know i've already lost one of rachel's boys i've already lost joseph remember because jacob is assuming joseph is dead right remember he's assuming he's dead he doesn't know that he's in egypt so he says i'm keeping benjamin with me but the rest of you 10 guys you go down to egypt take the money buy a bunch of food and bring it back to the family. we got to save our family from this drought. So they go down, and in a, in a long kind of a fun story, um, Jacob recognizes his brothers, but they don't recognize him. He's dressed in Egyptian garb. They think he's long since dead or a slave somewhere. They're not expecting him to come out decked out in all the regalia that he'd be dressed in as the Egyptian number two guy, okay? So, so they don't recognize him, but he recognizes his brothers. And so, but he also knows that one of them's missing. Where's Benjamin? So he kind of inquires. He plays a little game with him. He he says, "Now, do you have another brother? And tell me about your father. And tell me where you came from." And the bottom line is, Joseph realizes that God has a deeper purpose for all of this. So he tricks his brothers. Uh, so that he keeps one of them behind he sends the rest of them back with food but with a message to his dad bring the younger brother or else uh, you're going to be in trouble so the bottom line is he tricks them so that they all have to come they bring the younger brother down to egypt and then you have this climax i'm trying to give you the highlights here look at chapter 45 verse 3 where all of a sudden joseph can contain himself no more after seeing Benjamin, he, he comes clean and he, and he says this. 
He says, then Joseph said to his brothers, this is chapter 45, verse 3, I'm Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at this. They, uh, they were in shock. Then Joseph said to his brothers, please come closer to me. And they came closer, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And all of a sudden, they're, uh, how do you know that? But then he says, now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me here before you to preserve life. For the famine has been on this land for two years already, but there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. Five more years to go, guys. It's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant of, in the earth and to keep you alive for a great deliverance now therefore it is not you who sent me here but god and he has made me a father to pharaoh and 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 lord of all his household and ruler over the land of egypt hurry go up there get my father and say to him thus says your son joseph god has made me lord of all of egypt come down to me do not delay so he gets God's perspective. So Joseph rises to power. That's what's going on. Joseph rises to power, but then he rescues his family. And he gets God's perspective. He gets God's perspective. And he sends, and they come down, and the final part of the story, after he rises to power first, and, 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 and he rescues his family, um, in fact, it's kind of cool. He goes to Pharaoh and says, you know, here's the deal. I've got these brothers, and I've been working with them, and and, and, and I, I found out my father, who's elderly, is still alive up in Canaan, and, and I, I want to go up and get him and bring him back. And, and Pharaoh doesn't just say, okay, I'll give you a few days off. Pharaoh says, well, let me send a bunch of my personal servants and wagons. And they, they have this huge entourage. I mean, it's kind of like Alad van lines, you know. They, they go up, and, and you know, it's, it's like this entourage of Pharaoh's wealth and they go up and pick up the people and all their livestock and all their children and grandchildren they they bring the whole clan down to egypt and they are saved and of course chapter 50 is kind of the final chapter of the book where joseph highlights his faith his forgiveness and his future he reaffirms his faith in god that god is the one who has been doing this he reaffirms his forgiveness to his brothers for what they did to him and he even declares now i know this is why god brought me to egypt so i could save my people from death so that i could we could it's all part of god's plan to grow a mighty nation to grow this mighty nation that will someday provide a blessing to the whole world and provide a savior for mankind it was all part of god's plan for his people but yet it involved joseph going to the pit going to the prison being accused wrongly being in jail and next thing you know he's the guy that's in power so that he can rescue his whole clan and bring them to egypt and he does that if you want three short verses that summarize most of the application of this to our lives let me show you those three verses and then we're going to break them down into some principles look at chapter 50 verse 19 to 21 but joseph said to them 
hey, do not be afraid, for I am in God's, for, oh, excuse me, do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? In other words, his brothers were still fearful. His brothers were still fearful that he might seek revenge on them, punish them for what they did. So his first statement to his brothers is, look, you don't have to be afraid of me because it's not my job to be God. Am I in God's place? Am I your judge? I'm not your judge. That's up to God. Okay? So he, he, so he expresses his forgiveness and his commitment to not punish them. So, you know, his faith leads to that amazing act of mercy and forgiveness. But he goes beyond forgiveness. He says this, and therefore, he says, as for you, verse 20, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result, to preserve many people alive. So he gets God's perspective on his suffering and his pain, that God has a bigger plan, a bigger purpose. That's the second thing I see in this. And then he goes beyond mercy to give grace to them. Look at verse 21. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. In other words, he went beyond just giving them forgiveness and mercy. He said, and by the way, I don't just forgive you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of you and your children and your children's children. I'm going to be your protector and provider. And he gives them grace. He doesn't just let them off the hook. He actually hooks them with grace and gives them not just mercy, but grace. So how does this all come out in our stories as we walk with God by faith? You know, I think that the essence of this is like Joseph, God wants us to learn to trust him in the midst of not just prosperity, but pain. Whether we're in pain or prosperity. I think Joseph is our role model. And this guy just displays how to act and how to think when you're going through those tough times. When all of a sudden you're going through a hard time and someone's been, uh, they've mistreated you and you've gotten a raw deal and, and you pray to God and, and God doesn't seem to be changing your circumstances and, and you're stuck in a bad situation that wasn't even your fault. There are always times in all of our lives in which we are wronged, we receive injustice, we are harmed or hurt, and, we, and it's painful, right? So how do we process that? How do we let Joseph teach us about how to live by faith in the midst of that? Just remember four short statements. Here they are. You can write them down. Number one, by faith, stay faithful no matter what your circumstances. In other words, be faithful to follow God, follow his word, no matter what your circumstances. We see this all through the last two weeks of Joseph's life, uh, the last two weeks of sermons on Joseph's life. Joseph, whether he was in the pit, whether he was traveling as a slave, whether he's, he's uh, thrown in jail, what's he do? Wherever he is, whether he's in the palace or a prison, he is faithful to follow his God, not compromise his integrity, put his trust in God, not himself or his circumstances. So you see his character his integrity so the first thing is this no matter what your circumstances whether they really stink or whether it's the most the best year of your life stay true to following jesus christ stay true to your convictions 
Number one lesson, don't want to overlook it. Number two, by faith, when wrong, don't get even, give grace. Don't get even, give grace. Letting God be the judge and jury of other people. We see that in chapter 50, 19, where he says to his people, you don't have to fear me, because I'm not here to get even. You meant it for evil. And it's interesting, he called it out. What they did was evil. Okay, let me say, selling someone else into slavery, not a good idea. Okay, did God cause them to do that? My answer is no. Did God allow it? The answer is yes. It's obvious that God allowed it. I think if you say God caused it, you just made God the author of sin, which in my Bible, he can't do. God doesn't sin, but God does use the sinful acts of others to accomplish good things. There's a quote from Johnny Erickson Tata I've taught you before. I hope you have it memorized. God uses what he hates to accomplish what he loves. He does that in a lot of life. Sinful things happen. Terrible things happen. And and be very cautious about how you speak of those things to other people. Don't just say, well, you know, it must have been God's will. When you throw out a statement like that without really explaining it, You sound like God wanted it to happen, and if not, God caused it to happen. Our our news is full of tragedy and and stuff. The shooting in Texas of the people in the church and and, 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 and all kinds of things, whether they're hurricanes or or disasters like Houston and Florida and, and the wildfires of Northern California or whether it's people hurting people. The reality is we live in a painful planet surrounded by painful people and sinful people that sometimes hurt other people. And, and, and so the pain and suffering of our world is not the direct pleasure of God. That's why, by the way, God has a plan. Read it at the end of your Bible, Revelation 21, 22. God will someday eliminate all pain, all suffering, all disease, all death. Because he hates it. But yet, while we're living at this period of human history, and yes, God is sovereign over the big picture of human history, but God has chosen to give people a free will in which they are free to hurt others. That's a big topic. We can tackle that another week. But if you want to know the 30-second answer, why has God given people the freedom to hurt others? Because the only way around it is to make those people his robots. And if you do that, it's impossible for people to love God. I want you to think on that. In other words, if you are forced to always do the right thing, you are forced to always love God, you're forced to show up at Seacoast every Sunday morning, you're forced to do all of that. You just do it. You never do anything wrong. You're kind to every person all the time. If God made all of us do that, and by the way, he could do that. He's big enough to do that. This took away love. Because authentic love has to have a choice. If I'm forced by God to always treat Becky in a loving way, there's no authenticity to my love relationship with my wife. If I'm forced to always love God and do everything perfectly the way he wants me to, then there's no authenticity, there's no authentic love relationship with my God. God wants us made in his image. We are spiritual beings in the image of God, which means we have some moral freedom to choose. But if you're not free to choose evil, you can't be free to choose good. 
And I'm getting kind of philosophical on you, but this is screwing up the thinking of so many Christians. Every time you see bad stuff happen, you go, I no longer believe in God because how, how could a kind God let terrible things happen? You ever heard that? You ever thought that? Sure, I have. What's at the root of it is God created us in the image of God to give us moral freedom so he could, have a, he could build a people that would authentically love him and serve him and worship him in response to the grace of Jesus Christ and the, and the gift of Christ on the cross and that we would fall in love with God and we would give our lives to want to follow him and to worship him and to love him and to love other people out of that. So God is raising up a people who choose to love him. And if you want to have real love, unfortunately, you've got to have the freedom to really hate. And then the love can shine in contrast to that. Now, why God chose to make human history this way Ryan's going to explain that next week. <laughs> I'm sure he'll have the answer. Now, it's, it's a complex topic, but I wanted to give you at least some understanding because it's what's going on in Joseph's life. So Joseph said, look, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God meant it for good. God had a plan to bring good from it, and he did. So whenever someone wrongs you, don't become God. Don't try to get even. Give grace and let God be God. By the way, write the reference, Romans 12, 17 to 19, the same principles taught in the New Testament. Number three, we're almost done. Number three is, by faith, trust God to redeem your pitfalls, problems, and pain with purpose. Allow God to, to breathe purpose into the painful parts of your life. And again, that doesn't mean that God likes the pain. I think he loves you. I don't think God wants people to be harming people. But when pain happens, God wants to redeem it. He wants to say, how can we bring value to this? My favorite verse on this is Romans 8, 28. Memorize this. You'll need it in life. Okay? It says that God causes all things, and it's just been discussing suffering, by the way, in the passage. God causes all things, even painful things, to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. See, it doesn't say all things are good. He says God causes all things to work together for good. God is a master at weaving the painful parts of our lives to accomplish something of value and good. Now, what is that? Well, it means that, it doesn't mean that, like in this story, that God is going to use you to save an entire nation. It doesn't mean that God's necessarily going to make you the number two guy in Egypt or America. Okay, don't push that. But what it does mean is God will bring higher good out of the lowness of pain. And that higher good are things like God will shape you he will grow you into a man or woman of integrity and faith. God will develop your faith. God will use it to open opportunities for you to help rescue and save other people as they watch you 
encounter pain and trust God in the middle of it, wow, it opens up opportunities for you to talk about your faith to other people. And you can indeed rescue them from darkness and bring them into the light of Christ. See, so God will use pain if we walk with him by faith and trust him. He'll use it to change you. He'll use it to equip you to be able to change others and help others come to know Christ. He'll use it to help you be better at doing ministry toward hurting people. So when people out there in the world are hurting, if you've been through some of the same pain, you're able to go to that person and say, you know something, I know how you feel because I've been there. I know what it feels like to be betrayed. I know what it feels like to be lied about. I know what it feels like to, to have your dream not work out. That's happened in my life. It's happened in Becky's life. It's happened in all of our lives. But yet now, when I hear of other people, I just had dinner the other night with a pastor who's going through a very incredibly hard time of betrayal and wounding. And, you know, I was able to have dinner with him and say to him, let me tell you what I went through a few years ago. And if we had another hour, I would give you that story. I'll give you that another time. But yeah, all of us have been through things like that. And, and out of your pain flows ministry. So pain has different ways in which God can redeem it. In Joseph's case, God used it to rescue his people and save them, that we might someday have a Savior. So when you go through pitfalls, problems, or painful things, let God breathe purpose into them. And by the way, if you want to go deeper, I put in your outline a reminder that there is a sermon series that's eight weeks long where we go deeper. Ryan and I went deeper into this very topic. It's called Everybody Hurts, and it's on the Seacoast website if you want to go back and listen to those sermons. Last but not least, this jumped out at me. Don't settle for Egypt. Live for eternal things. You know, Joseph had to be tempted. He had power, he had prestige, he had prosperity. He was the number two guy in the nation, and he didn't even want the number one job. He had a new wife. He had children. He had a new family and a new home with all the wealth and power he could ever want. He could have just settled for that and stayed in Egypt. But instead, he knew that his eternal destiny of him and his family was back in the promised land. So you know the last thing he does in this chapter? He makes his brothers, as he's dying, promise. Don't bury me in Egypt. When you go back to the promised land, which God will bring you back, you take my bones with you. And they did just that. Because he knew that his focus was on another better land, not just health and wealth of Egypt. In our lives, don't settle for the prosperity called the American dream. Live for something bigger. Live for the kingdom of God. Live for how God wants to use you to be part of his big plan. Pray with me. Father God, thank you so much for the wisdom of your word and the power of the story. Uh, Father, would you use it in each of our lives here? Father, I thank you that for every one of the lives in this room, if we are a follower of Jesus Christ, that we are rescued by your grace and forgiveness, so modeled by Joseph.
that in the midst of our guilt and brokenness, you've given life, you've rescued us. Now you want to redeem the painful parts of our life to do something of real value. Would you pause in your heart right now and say, God, I'm available. Use me. Use me to be a source of hope and rescue to the people that I live and work and walk among every day. In Christ's name, amen.